Executive Breakthroughs Podcast with your host, Jason Troy, executive coach and best-selling author. Get game-changing strategies and tactics from the world's most successful executives and entrepreneurs about how they build and grow eight, nine, and 10-figure businesses, hire, manage, and develop A-level talent, create a culture to skyrocket success, build an extraordinary network out of influencers, and so much more. Stay tuned for mistakes you can skip and strategies you can steal, because stealing pens and post-it notes is for amateurs. It's time for another massive breakthrough, Executive Breakthroughs with Jason Troy. Welcome to another episode of Executive Breakthroughs. This is your host, Jason Troy, and I hope you are having a fantastic week. My guest today is the CEO of one of Boston's hottest startup companies, Elson. His name is Zach Sheffer, and he is the CEO and co-founder. And Zach is one of the most candid people you will meet. He shared a lot of his ups, downs, trials, tribulations, lessons he learned from raising money, from hiring and firing, to building culture. And I think you're going to get a lot of insights and things that you can use in your life, in your, in your business or in the company that you're working in. So let's get right to the interview. I'm with Zach Shepard. He is the CEO and co-founder of Elson. And we are going to get into some fascinating stories of his background, how he's built this company and what he's up to now. So welcome, Zach. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey, well, thanks for being here and thanks for providing us with this <laughs> magnificent view in Boston. So I'd just like to find out a little bit about, you know, how you grew up, what happened, kind of just give me a little bit of the background of where you came from. Uh, yes. So I grew up just outside of uh, Boston and San okay. Diego. Both, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's actually a beautiful, beautiful day here in, in Boston. So not regretting why I actually moved now. Yes. Um, so I, I guess the reason why I ended up moving to Boston, um, so my older sister had moved out, so it was just me and my mom. And uh, my mom, you know, whenever I was supposed to pick my college, she was like, so Zach, just as a quick heads up, I'm going to be selling the house, so take whatever you want. <laughs> um, so I was like, all right, well, I better take this opportunity and go somewhere completely different. Um, so I ended up only applying to schools in Boston and New York, fell in love with Northeastern when I was visiting, and went here. Um, so I've been in Boston for the better part of about eight years now. Um, spent some time in Chicago and some time in uh, D.C. though. So growing up, did you have any mentors or people that really influenced you before you got to school and made the trip cross country? Yeah, I had a, a couple of, I guess, like teachers, professors in, in high school that were pretty, pretty influential. Um, so one guy was this, my, one of our biology teachers, his name was Jay Vavra. Um, probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, and it was great because I, I sort of knew him as like a teacher. And then we ended up going to Africa together twice, um, ended up actually building a really good like personal relationship with him. Um, and then he unfortunately got cancer and passed away, which was, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. What did he teach you or what did you take away from, from that experience that really kind of changed you and how you lived your life? Uh, I think one of the things that was so interesting about him was, so he had, you know, PhD from Stanford, you know, could have been a professor, pretty much done whatever he wanted. And he spent his time, you know, teaching, you know, high school kids how they could change the world. You know, we ended up going to Africa doing, 
setting up a DNA barcoding laboratory at the College of uh, Wildlife Management in Weka. We ended up winning some national awards for bushmeat. Wow. Um, you know, and that was the, the thing that he taught me was <laughs> even high school kids can actually have a real impact. Um, you know, and, and I think that was something that was really, really <laughs> important for me as I kind of grew up. <laughs> and it was like your entrepreneurial start? Uh, yeah, that was, that was definitely a big part of it. I mean, I think I, I was really, really lucky. I went to a, a charter school in San Diego okay. called High Tech High. Pardon the nerdy name. Um, but it was a really, I guess, fantastic experience for me. I, I think looking back on my life, how lucky I actually was getting the opportunity to go there because, you know, I studied engineering and we built ballistas, you know, ended up building videos that won national awards, you know, and actually did things that have now really changed like what I want to do now in my life. So you, st I mean, you started really the technical aspects of what you're doing now pretty young than being in that sort of educational environment compared to what most people do. Yeah, so High Tech High was a, a project-based learning. So I think the most important thing that I learned was you, you have no idea what you're doing on any of these things when you first look at some of these projects, but you figure it out. You break down the steps and anyone can do them. Um, and it doesn't really matter what problem you're trying to solve. If you think about the steps that you're going through, you break it down, you work with the people around you, you can do it. You can do some pretty amazing things. You can figure it out. In yeah, way. exactly. So then you came out here to school and sort of what happened during college? I mean, out here, your formative years at that point? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was studying mechanical engineering, okay. um, which I absolutely love. So if you want to talk about heat transfer and fluid mechanics, we could do that for the next couple of hours. No? I love right. Yeah. My dad's, <laughs> a, my dad's an industrial engineer. Sorry, he was. Yeah, so he... Uh, so uh, I, I went to Northeastern University, um, and Northeastern has their co-op program. So basically, I took six months off three times, so okay. almost twenty months off of school to go and work at different jobs. Um, so my first job, I was again actually really lucky with the, the placement. Um, I was working at American Power Conversion, writing heat transfer and fluid mechanic programs for data center design. Um, and my my first boss was again one of the smartest people that I've like ever met. Um, super hardworking, really cared about his employees, and uh, through that position, I think we ended up getting like four or five patents under some of the new stuff that we had developed. Wow. Yeah, so while in school doing things that I hadn't even like finished in school, um, I was able to actually do some, some really impactful stuff, which was really, really exciting. And you have patents. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's big. Yeah, so we, well, we filed some patents for that. We ended up filing another patent for some other work we had done in our senior year, um, and then Elson has some pads as well. So, got a couple of things. So, when, you know, you finished college and then you continued down this path in engineering, correct? Sort of. I, I think, so the, the thing, I, I love engineering. Um, I love actually building things. Uh, and I had worked at a, a company doing um, unmanned underwater vehicles for a little while. Um, had, you know, actually like building real things, which was really cool, but it's really slow building stuff. So then I kind of got into software development and I really liked how the iteration time was a lot faster. Um, and so I kind of getting got into the software and then one of my friends was really into trading. So we kind of started talking about the stock market and I don't know what it was, but I just like fell in love with that. Um, I think like all the maths and physics and engineering that I was doing like at work and at school, just so well applies to the financial markets that like once I got, got stuck, I, I just, 
I felt like you just wanted to figure out new things and how you can apply it. And yeah. So how'd you figure out the current business then? Because I know you have a couple co-founders. <laughs> so how did you get this all in your head about how this all could work? Uh, well, it's kind of evolved over a couple of, uh, what's the startup term, pivot? Yeah, yeah pivots. Pivots, yeah, lots of pivots. Because um, when we first got started, we actually wanted to help uh, retail investors. So actually just help okay. regular people make better investment decisions. And that's, we were like, okay, let's take you know, technology that you know, the most cutting edge hedge funds have and actually deliver it to a regular person. That was kind of like our, our initial thesis. Um, the problem with that is most individuals don't have any money and they don't want to give they us don't. the money, which sucks as a business. It makes it difficult. <laughs> yeah. So we were like, okay, we've got this really cool technology that we've been de developing. We know that it's actually ready for hedge funds. Let's give it to the hedge funds. Um, and so we started pivoting over to the institutional side. Um, you know, we kind of took some of the experience from, you know, I'd worked at Credit Suisse for a little while, running financial models for them, and we're able to kind of figure out what we were, what we were up to. Um, How do you convince the hedge funds to, like, use <laughs> your stuff? I and mean, I think it's really important for people to show, like, how did you, how did you crack that first egg or first nut to get them, you know, inside the door? Um, yeah, in, in all fairness, we kind of just made it up as we went along. Like, I, I wish I had a, a better answer. You know, we, I remember we had one hedge fund client that we were talking to, I was, I was trying to sell to for a little over six months. Um, and at the end of the day, they were like, okay, you guys have literally everything we want. This product is perfect, um, but we just, need, we just need a bigger name behind it. So we went and started working with Thomson Reuters on the first commercial product. And that relationship took us, you know, over 18 months. And the way that we were able to get it was every single day talking to new people at Thomson Reuters, talking to, you know, showing them new things that only we could build. And over a long time of sort of hitting our head against the wall, we, we got through it. Um, you know, we tried to bring on advisors that could help push things through, but it's just a lot of time. Yeah. Helping people solve their pain and building relationships with the people at Thomson Reuters and a lot of them. Is that kind of what? Yeah. Yeah. But it just, I mean, the, the biggest part of it was just time. You know, at, at many points, I think we were told from some of our investors and advisors that like, wow, you guys are spending a lot of time on this. Make sure that it's actually going to work out and kind of have to trust your gut and make sure that it's actually going to go along. And the people that you're working in the company right then, I mean, you have to yeah. trust them too and they have to trust you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has to be really difficult. I mean, in those moments where you were having to go in there and spend more time mm -hmm. and then you weren't getting anything from it and then to take the next couple steps afterwards. Like how, I mean, what kind of mindset or what did you just have to do or did you just have to have this belief in what you were doing and optimism that just said, I'm just going to keep going until it works? Yeah, I think that um, I think that's kind of part of it. Uh, I think you kind of have to like almost lie to yourself a little bit, right? Like I kind of hate saying that, but you need to convince yourself that if this is actually the correct path to go down, that it's the correct path to go down. And you have to put everything, no matter what, for as long as it's going to take in order to make it successful. Um, you know, whether, unfortunately, if you have to get rid of people, if people leave, you know, if you run out of money, you still got to do it. You still got to go, but at least you had a, you had a co-founder at that point you were working in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so at least you had that as support. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I, I don't think I would have been able to get through it if it wasn't for the people on our team, you know, and as well as like friends and family and advisors and investors. But, I mean, because at the end of the day, like starting a company, you're trying to create something from nothing 
and you're trying to convince you're trying to convince the world that like you're the only person that can do this. Um, you're the only one who has this idea, and you're the only one who can create it, which is you know ultimately kind of a hard thing to figure out. So you kind of got to convince yourself and rely on the people around you. So what's your philosophy, I guess, in taking money versus bootstrapping, or when you know, and talk about like when you decided to take outside capital. Uh, that's a good one. I mean, I think um, kind of looking back on the, the funding, so we've raised some money in the past. Um, I think in some ways we like we didn't take a, <laughs> we took money too early and then we didn't take enough. Um, so I've kind of got like an interesting experience where I think you should bootstrap as much as possible. And in fact, if you don't have to ever raise money, then don't raise money because it changes the dynamic of like what you're doing. And if you don't have to, you shouldn't. Um, but then when you do start raising money, raise as much as possible. Because <laughs> uh, being in the experience where you don't have enough resources to, to do something is not a position you want to be in. Because uh, then you have to go back and ask for more? Yeah. And then and then tell people why you didn't ask for more in the beginning? Yeah, well, I, I also think, uh, you know, so specifically like with Elson, obviously things took a lot longer than we anticipated at certain points. And no matter what your business is, it's going to take longer. Right. So you should make sure that you have enough padding that you can actually do all of those things because once you start down that like raising money side you have to raise more you know you have to keep on doing it there's not like a, a stopping point right um so make sure you have enough pad enough money to get through those next stages so i don't know i i kind of always go back and forth on whether i would raise money again um or would have raised a lot more yeah. yeah, it's it's probably gonna have to be specific to the situation you're in and what's driving what at that point in the people around. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, and I, I think you know part of the part of the rationale as to why we wanted to raise money for Helson is we just wanted to grow the company faster, right? Like I think we could have continued down the bootstrapping route, but we wanted to actually build a high growth company. And if you want a high growth company, you need to put fuel on the fire at some point. Right. And if you have the recipe to do it, then getting that's when you need money. And that's yeah. when you raise money. So how do you pick the people that you were going to work with as far as advisors and investors? Like what did you what, what kind of process did you go through um, yeah. to find the people that were ultimately, you know, you chose and thought would be best suited for you? So I think for, for me and Elson, we well, at least I know for me personally, I spoke to literally everyone I possibly could. And then everyone that they would refer me to, you know, and literally you just talk to everyone. Um, unfortunately, many of those people probably aren't actually going to be helpful, but you eventually figure out the ones that, that will. Um, you know, and now we have a core group of really strong investors and really good advisors that we, you know, really do trust that we can go to on, you know, any problem that we actually have or any high point. Like, and I feel like that's the most important thing is you need to have people that you know, are there not just at the high points, but when things aren't going well that you can actually talk through and get that real advice from. Um, can you talk was, about one of the uh, low points? Because I think it's helpful for yeah. people to really get inside your head and actually be in that moment when things felt like they were going to spin out of control or off. Because <laughs> a lot of times, again, you know, we, we talked about before the interview, yeah. it's easy to see where you're at now and all the things that are going on, but we all, we have to take a picture of what all happened to really appreciate that at that point, because an entrepreneur's mind is really long, <laughs> and you remember those days especially. So is there a specific low point or time when it was really bad or really something yeah. that were... Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to say yeah no, so no, quickly. Sorry, yeah, sorry. apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, there were, I mean, I'm sure I can think of a couple of, of moments. Uh, I think one was probably about a year ago, um, 
So we were, I guess, kind of just starting to get ramping up with some of the stuff with Thomson Reuters. Um, and we unfortunately realized that some of the folks on the team weren't who we needed on the team at that point. So, I mean, we're only, we were only six, seven people and we realized that we need to get rid of like four of them. Wow. Yeah. So that was like, we were basically like, yeah, we got to drop over half the, half the team. And, um, you know, some of it was like for reason for, you know, unfortunate reasons, like they just can keep up or sometimes they just were doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but having to get rid of folks on the team, uh, especially people who we've been working with for like little over a year, you know, since basically the very beginning was really, really tough. Um, yeah, that, that one was, uh, emotionally, I think pretty darn draining on, on everyone on the team. And it had to go back to start from square one and to hire all brand new people again. And what did you learn <laughs> through that process about yourself, about hiring other people, about growing talent? Like what were some yeah. of the things that you... I think the, the thing that I learned about myself is I don't like firing people. Um, yeah, it's not a very fun thing. Confrontation <laughs> is hard. Yeah, um, I, I don't mind the confrontation part. I just oh. like... like I. I feel like um, every employee that, and so one of the things that I learned from from one of my first bosses was he would always spend like over half of his time just dealing with employees, like being available if they need to talk about stuff, working on their existing projects. So like I feel like he didn't actually do a whole lot of work himself, but he made sure that everyone else on the team was that much more productive. And he had like a vested interest in making sure that everyone was. Um, and so I tried to like sort of do that same yep. thing. And so all the people that we let go and everyone on the team, like I really do care about them. Like I, whether I personally like them or not, I still want them to be successful. And uh, like just emotionally, it was so draining getting rid of someone that I just don't want to ever do that again. So now we're really, really careful about who we hire and bring onto the team and do that really, really slowly. Make sure that we are actually willing to you know, spend the next 10 years of our life with that person. So um, what are you doing differently now? Like specifically, are you asking different questions? Are you doing different things with them, or what is it? I think there changed? was. Well, I, I think one part of it was uh, we ended up bringing on some of those folks um, at a time before we actually needed them. Like we were like, okay, we're probably going to need these people soon. Let's bring them on, get them up, and get them up and, and ready to go. And then you know, as things pivoted, as things changed, that didn't happen, and then they were kind of in a role that they weren't fit for. Um, then I think the, the second part, you know, when coming back to, I guess, being an entrepreneur is you kind of have to trust your gut on some of these things. And someone may look great on paper and, and might sort of provide the right answers. But if you don't have that, like, if you don't, like, if you don't have that, that feeling that it's going to work out, then you should trust that, um, especially at a very early stage company where you're, you know, in the trenches with them for a long period of time. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You're, you're going to be relying on these people a lot more hours than what's written on their offer letter. Um, and everyone knows it. So make sure that you really want them to, to be that person that you're willing to rely on. Spend a lot of time with yeah. this business. Yeah. I mean, they're, you spend more time with them than your like, significant other in many cases, which is kind of depressing. But it's kind of like family then, an early part of the business. Yeah, it absolutely is, um, which is definitely an interesting thing. So talk about um, co-founder communication and like conflict resolution, because I think a lot of people who start businesses or are working with it, no matter what scale it is, 
that's a challenging piece of it. Is how do you work through things? How do you communicate with people? Um, collaborate, stay in sync over time. I mean, yeah. What What's kind of your thoughts, and what do you do, and what did you learn through that? Uh, I, yeah, I remember there was the, the most difficult conversation. So um, I remember with Ryan Johnson, who's the, one of the co-founders. Um, it was at one of the very beginning. We were having a conversation just about how to split up the equity for Elson, right? Which is, you know, I think one of the the most tense conversations I've I've ever had about Elson. And we, I guess, you, you just got to like, you got to turn into it and be open about everything with your co-founders, um, right? And you need to make sure that there's full transparency about everything, that everyone is completely on board with anything, um, and that you really do trust those people. Basically, I don't know, I, I don't want to say like with your life, but... It's close to it, essentially, <laughs> because you're putting everything and all your energy into yeah. this business. I mean, it's all, it's really all of you. Yeah. So we had, you know, we ended up sitting down for like four or five hours for that conversation. And it was, it was a hard conversation, right? Like we were uh, loud and passionate, you know, during that time. Um, and I, I think you've, you've got to find those people that you trust that you can have that, you know, frank, open conversation with, but still know that like, hey, you know, you love them at the end of the day. You're okay after the end of the five hours. Yeah. It's not like the relationship is in jeopardy, teetering on the edge of... Exactly, right. And it's it's really hard, I guess, kind of building up that trust, building up that relationship. You know, and it, it took a, a lot of time for us to get to where we could, you know, basically be like yelling at each other and then be completely okay with it five minutes later. But that's kind of where we're at now, which is really important. So I know that like at any point I can go and talk to them and be tell them about anything. And, you know, whether it be personal or work-related and everything will be fine. Talk about culture building and kind of how you view that inside building, you know, a startup company and, you know, how you view that now, right? And as you're building this company bigger and bigger and then yeah. it's obviously stretching out externally to other people that you're working with and clients. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and kind of coming back to part of the reason why we had to get rid of a couple of people is... You know, part, part, part of it was because of the cultural fit. Um, you know, I, I think a, a big thing that we kind of look at is everyone works really, really hard. You know, everyone is like a high performer, um, but that you still trust the people around you, right? Yes. Uh, so it's high performance, <laughs> um, trust, do what you need to do to be successful. Um, those are kind of, I, I think, a lot of the things that we kind of look at uh, when we look for people to, to add to the team. Yeah, people that have skin in the game. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely the skin in the game. I, I don't know. I, I find a, a big part of it is you know, and we have really difficult conversations all the time, just because we have a lot of conflicting opinions about major decisions that we're making like every day, every day. Um, you know, and you have to trust the other people. Like, uh, we've got a lot of people on our team that are all really good at everything that they do, and so whenever they make a decision, they're usually like they tend to be correct. And so we've got other people that are also making conflicting decisions and it's it. making sure that you trust and respect the other people around you, that you sort of set clear guidelines around who is actually responsible for making decisions, who is kind of um, helping inform decisions, but that, and I, I think that kind of helps, helps clarify things. Um, but a big part of it is you just have to respect the other people around you and continue making sure that everyone is pushing forward together. How do you coach 
the people in your business, you know, as a leader of the business, like how do you, you know, help them grow and get to the next step and what they need to do? I mean, even in a, you know, a startup company yeah. too, it's important to have obviously these conversations with them to help them because that helps the business, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that we like to do is, so we have um, quarterly reviews for everyone. So we like to understand both how people should, you know, like on a very, you know, quantitative standpoint, where the company wants people to improve, but also where they want to improve. Um, and then kind of as much as possible trying to push people into those different things. You know, so whether it's getting them involved in other types of meetings that they normally wouldn't do, you know, getting them to present in front of other people, um, getting them to actually take more responsibility in certain things. So I think it's just not being kind of afraid to push people in those things. And I think, you know, it's kind of weird because I'm actually, I think, one of the youngest people on our team. <laughs> Um, not being kind of afraid to push people into those things and have those difficult conversations when someone isn't doing what they need to do and you need to pull them in. Um, you just kind of got to overcome that and do it. So how do you uh, surround yourself with people that will help you see your own blind spots and that can help you grow? Because a lot of times people, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing for some you know, people that are leading a company and some people navigate that well, some people don't. I mean, how do you look at that? It's a good question. <laughs> um, I think I, I don't know, I, I like to think that I know where my weak spots are. Um, I don't know, sometimes I think that I purposely don't like to fill them in, just out of being a pain in the butt sometimes. Um, uh, I think it comes back to talking to as many people as possible, you know, talking to every everyone who you could possibly talk to and everyone who they'll introduce you to and finding those people that you, again, you trust that you respect and then looping them in as much as possible. You know, that's a, a big part of like how we've been able to bring on two of the folks on our executive team is, you know, one of them was a referral from one of our investors who we had known for about 18 months. One of them was, you know, actually uh, an advisor for one of our investors who I had known for about 18 months. So it was just, through kind of luck of knowing these other people and talking to them for a long period of time and actually trusting and respecting them. And I know that they have a ton of experience, a ton of expertise that all just because my age won't be able to have. And I hope that they're giving me the good advice for that. Yeah. But it's also the relationship building. Cause I think one of the things that you mentioned early on, which a lot of people do not do is get out there, meet people, build these relationships, and then continually to do it over the lifespan. Because usually what you, I see yeah. is that people will do it, and then it drops way off, yeah. and then all of a sudden they don't have anything, and then they need to restart it, and it's yeah. really, yeah, you can't really hard, and you can't do that. No, so you, you yeah. just keep going to them. Um, and I, I, in all fairness, I'm not a big fan of like networking events. I mean, not more now. I, I think networking in terms of relationship building is just meeting people in various formats, yeah. like going out to setting up dinner things with people yeah. or going in smaller environments that are more conducive so you can actually just meet more people. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I also just like talking to people. Um, okay. I just find it interesting talking to new people and smart people that have new ideas. So one of the things that I like to do is um, we contribute to a couple of different like meeting groups, meetup groups. So like the FinTech Sandbox, you know, which is a, a thing that we've been part of for a number of years here in Boston. And you spoke there. So yeah. But so we... In the show notes. But, oh, cool. Yeah. So, but we, you know, continue to work with that group. You know, we have presented at other things. We've organized events for them. And so that's like an easy way that we're kind of always 
keeping up with like what are other cool startups doing, who are the other interesting people in the community, um, other sponsors and stuff. And that's a really easy one that kind of helps helps me do that. The other easy way is rely on like I guess now that we've got a pretty good core team, they're always going to things and just making sure that you're talking to to those folks. Um, and again, like now that we've got this like really strong core group of employees, but advisors and investors, always just going back to them like, hey, you know, who's that new person that you should talk to? And you know, it's you've just got to always be willing to do you know five of those meetings a day and talk to people. And now, as the company's gotten more cachet, it's you know this community here in Boston, as I've been interviewing a lot, it's very small. Yeah, and it's easier to meet people. Like you know, you have to take the time out, and that's what a lot of people don't do is just continually take the effort and the time out of their schedule because they rationalize I have to do something else. But in the day, no, like you said, important. you found multiple people in your business through other people. Yeah, and if you didn't do that, they wouldn't be there in the business and the business would be significantly weaker because of it. Exactly. Where it is right now. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely a, an incredibly important thing. I mean, I would say probably the first like two years that we were doing kind of Elson, I was at every single event I could possibly go to talking to every single person I could possibly talk to. And yeah, it's a pain in the butt. But I think that's part of the reason why we now actually are like having a, a good reputation a lot of people know about us, and we have a, a pretty good network of people that we can go to. Um, so obviously, we're continuing to do that and continuing to grow. But um, I, I think that's one of the really important things that I would highly recommend to anyone who is actually trying to do something. Yeah, to get out there and network, and also it's doing things that other people don't want to do, right? You said you're going to all these meetings, doing all these things. Well, a lot of pe- most people wouldn't. I mean, 99% of people wouldn't do what you did, but that's the, that's why you are, are where you are. Something like that, yeah. I mean, the other thing that I would say is also just make sure you're actually talking to people at those things. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people that go to events and then don't really actually talk to new people. Um, yeah, always make sure you're actually building those relationships with those people. I mean, some of the people that I've met at some of the first things two years, three years ago, I'm actually now really good friends with. Um, and I know that those people will be well, friends that I'll have for a long period of time or be really helpful to Elson. Did you follow up with them at the event and suggest doing something like outside of it, meeting up, doing something? How <laughs> yeah. did you kind of take that initial meeting yeah. with them or, you know, for the first time into something more than it is, you know, then? Uh, yeah. So I think probably for the first couple of years, I was drinking like eight or 10 cups of coffee a day. Oh, wow. Um, that's a, that's a lot of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a dangerous amount. Um, but that's what I did was just drink coffee with everyone. You know, just go and get a cup of coffee. And I, again, I, I feel like you. part of it is all of those people, they have a, a different way of looking at a problem and maybe they have a, a different perspective or some random person who they know that's actually running the company that you want to talk to. Um, and you just have to be able to go and talk to those people. So I, I always really enjoy those things. What leadership qualities and traits do you think are most important for a CEO to have and things that you may have seen in other people that you think are exemplary and other things you think are, you know, things that are really challenging for a business if someone has those types of qualities or traits? Um, I think probably the most important one is being able to simplify a message. <laughs> I, I find that that's actually one of the, the traits that I find most impressive from a, a lot of the CEOs that I respect is they're taking, you know, like one of the most complex ideas or most complex industries and actually being able to boil it down and translate that to everyone else. 
Because um, if you can do that, then you'll be able to bring on people onto the team. You'll be able to get funding. You'll be able to get you'll be able to do whatever you need. Um, and that I think is like also one of the most difficult things in the world to do is make a complex idea simple. Yeah, you really have to understand the idea and are passionate about it and driving on the bleeding edge in order to simplify it backwards and probably lead them on a vision that's going to get people. Yeah, excited. and you just have to you have to practice so bloody much. Like that that's the hard part of is that you just have to also you know do it so many times to to actually have that message be succinct to get other people to to trust you behind it. You know, because I, I guess if you're the CEO, you're trying to now convince other people that hey, this is something that they should be putting years of their life behind. That somehow this idea, that this message, is is the thing that will actually lead them to success. Um, so that that's I think definitely a, the the most impressive one that I found. What do you, what's next for you in this business now? I mean, where do you? Where do you all want to go? Where's next for you as you think as a CEO on your progression path? I'm interested in seeing kind of like what the future is. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so right now I Elson is kind of focused on two big things. One sorry. Get over that cold. Um, yes. <laughs> sorry about that. So one part is we're taking the underlying platform that we developed for you know basically over the past four years um, and starting to add on more partners, more data sets. Um, and get that platform uh, better distributed globally. The second is we've got this first commercial application with Thompson Reuters, um, which is actually being distributed globally now. So we need to ensure that that's actually successful. Yes. So that's, those are kind of our two big priorities over the next like 12 to 18 months. Um, I think for me personally, uh, I'm really focused on continuing to expand the team. Um, you know, I'd like to bring on some more resources so that way we can continue to actually achieve all those things. Um, I, I think the thing that I want to get better on is actually making sure that like our message is being distributed to a larger group of people. Like it, it's kind of easy when you've only got like six, ten people, but yeah. as we actually grow to you know 10, 20, 30, 40 people, making sure that like the organization as a whole is continuing to have that that culture that we want is continuing to actually be you know quantitative is continuing to be successful. Uh, and I, I don't really know. <laughs> That's what I need to figure out how to do. How to do? Yeah. So, how do you manage your personal life and people in the team? You know, and have it stay afloat as you're managing to do all the stuff inside the business and prioritize it in a way. Have you figured out kind of like how to? I have not figured it out. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, that was it. Uh, I'm it's definitely still trying to figure out the work-life balance thing. Uh, I don't really think to be balanced. It's just it's yeah. more like how do you keep them both in a good place? And yeah, I mean, I I think a, a big part of it is you know, and part of the nice thing about being the CEO is you can bring on people that do the stuff that you don't really want to do anymore. Um, you know, so I do a lot of stuff that I I mean I like I, I love Elson. It's you know my favorite thing in the world. So I never really feel like a lot of the stuff that I'm doing actually is work, and I always really enjoy it. Um, yeah, which is which I think is is really helpful. So you know, that's I think kind of a, a big part of it. Um, continuing to bring on more people that I think can help us grow that vision, grow that company. Um, I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's fantastic. 
Well, I'd like to thank you for spending some time with us today in another episode of Executive Breakthroughs. And Zach's given us a lot of great information and taken along his trajectory in life with the business so far. And we're really excited to see how everything moves forward and it continues to take off. <laughs> like a hockey stick up. Exactly. Right? So, exactly. Thanks all for tuning in and we will uh, talk to you in the next episode.